Do you know what nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast that takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Quentin Tarantino. We watched all of his movies. Levi, 30 seconds or less, give me your review of Quentin Tarantino. Of Quentin Tarantino. The man, the myth, the myth, the legend, the foot fetish. The really, yeah, into foot fetishes and ridiculously set uh, setting up scenes uh-huh. with almost a George R. R. Martin obsession with the few momentary interactions with food. Um, he's <laughs> really got a thing for Uma Thurman and I don't uh-huh. blame him. I think he also has a major man crush on Samuel Jackson, who I think he might leave for Christoph Waltz, mm-hmm. which is understandable. I don't know. I feel like him and Sam Jack are back together after hateful eight. That's true. Yeah. Christoph Waltz. He, he may have pulled him from the crowd, but then he, he <laughs> soared higher. So, you know, Samuel L. Jackson never left, though. I, you know, he was just—he was just kind of the. I guess he wasn't in *Inglorious Bastards*, but he was in *Django*. No, he's in *Inglorious Bastards*. He does the voiceover for Hugo Stieglitz. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> Holy cow! Holy we cow! Have watched yeah. a lot of a lot of Tarantino <laughs> in as many weeks. It's understandable that some stuff does fall through the cracks, yeah. although. In the time that we've watched these movies, I have rewatched *Inglorious Bastards* and *Pulp Fiction*. <laughs> wow! Just because I've been with groups that have, we watched *Pulp Fiction* at a, a party, and uh-huh. while my sister was here last week, right after we saw *Hateful Eight, I found out she hadn't seen *Inglorious Bastards*, <laughs> so we watched that as well. But she didn't like *The Hateful Eight. I know, but she liked *Inglorious Bastards*. Hmm. So, well, that's good. All is that's forgiven. Good. I mean, Aaron doesn't like *Hateful Eight, so you know. You're only well, going to win. I mean, he has terrible taste anyways. I don't know why anybody <laughs> listens to his, his horrendous series, taste. All of these TV podcasts that he does. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it, it, I'm sure nobody agrees with him. That's why his TV podcasts are wildly popular. <laughs> uh, no, to each his own, of course. Uh, you know, we did. We binged Tarantino hard. And I I just really... I, I Any director out there that people like... I really, really encourage them to do this exercise leading up to a new movie. Like, I would have loved to have done this with Christopher Nolan leading up to Interstellar. Or, yeah, or, you know, the Coen brothers, uh, their new movie, Hail Caesar, which is coming out soon. I would have loved to do it leading up to Hail Caesar. It just, it gave, it gave me such a strong perspective that, uh, on 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 Quentin Tarantino that that when I watched the Hateful Eight, I don't even really think that I was trying to judge it on whether or not it was good or bad. I was really just like so engrossed in the Tarantino isms that I was just really curious to see what he's going to do next. It was more of a of an exercise in curiosity than an exercise in criticism. So, and I, I think that's kind of an awesome way to approach movies. I do I do feel like you know living in the internet media world that we live in today there's so many instances of well everybody's got to hate this movie and everybody's we have to have this consensus opinion about this piece of pop culture and blah 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 and just on and on and on and you get kind of caught up in this swirl of of this is good art this is bad art this is this is i hate it when people use terms like this is bullshit and this is 
this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And, you know, this this hyperbolic uh, world that we live in in terms of of consuming movies. And I just think it's really cool to be able to get to the point where you're not really caring whether or not it's good or bad. You're just really trying to understand from the director's point of view what they're trying to do next. And I think that's an awesome exercise that we have put ourselves through, Levi. So thanks for going on this journey with me, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for the idea. I've had a lot of yeah. fun, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, moving forward and seeing who we pick next because I, I think Tarantino's an easy pick. Yes. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if there are other directors who are a little more challenging, especially in kind of the because Tarantino makes Tarantino yeah. films, but exactly, you know, somebody I think who would be fun maybe next year for uh, Star Wars Eight would be is it Rain Johnson or Ryan Johnson? I believe it's pronounced Ryan Johnson, and I would love to do Ryan Johnson because I actually have super mixed feelings about his films, although I haven't seen Brick in a long time. But I rented yeah. Brick when I was in college, I think, and I watched that because it was kind of this noir film that was supposed to be, you know, really cool. And it came off really, really poorly for me because it was just kind of a bunch of teenagers trying to sound like they were from the 1940s, but they were like in modern times. And I didn't really get it. But then he made Looper, and Looper is like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> like, yeah, Looper's Looper was fantastic. my favorite and movie. I, that, I yeah. liked Brick too. I thought Brick was a nice return to the noir. Mm-hmm. style and trying to find a, a way to uh reincorporate it into kind of that film because i you know who else is making noir films currently so i think i think it was, yeah. he took on a challenging uh effort with that one so it would be yeah he'd be a fun and a short run at this point so oh that's true we do him right true. before star wars yeah but star wars 8 comes out in two years buddy next year is rogue one. Oh, that's right yeah um, so we will get to our next director and how you, the listener, can help us pick our next director. So stay tuned for that. We call that a teaser in the biz. Um, but, you know, we talked about Tarantinoisms. Levi, let's go through some Tarantinoisms. How do you know you're watching a Tarantino film? Like, let's let's pretend that we live in a world where every Tarantino movie isn't publicized as Quentin Tarantino's blah, 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 title. In, insert title here. Um if you were watching a film and you were like, wait a second, is this directed by Quentin Tarantino? What are some things that would have to be in the movie in order for it to to uh, to be a Tarantino-ism? Mm-hmm. I think dialogue is first and foremost. If you get right. if you start a movie and there's two people in a car driving along <laughs> talking about something unrelated to the movie, it's a Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, the car is definitely a big part of it. That's why I loved the beginning of The Hateful Eight when they had when they were in the carriage, because I was like, this is like a classic Quentin Tarantino car scene. It's easily the longest car scene that he's filmed, but at the same time, it really fits into that, like, in the car going somewhere at the beginning of the movie. It happened in uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, there are multiple car scenes in Jackie Brown. Um, uh, most notably, Death Proof starts with a pretty long car scene as the as the ladies are driving out and, and going out for the night. Um. So, yeah, absolutely. Talking, especially in a car, I think that's a good one. Uh, I think that we we also, we talked about this last week, but somebody getting their nuts shot off, I think that's an official Tarantinoism now. <laughs> yeah, and now he's started to add the line to it. He was yes. not, we, that's one of the best things, is we've seen plenty of people get shot in the nuts, but now <laughs> he's got he's got his say goodbye to your testicles, <laughs> preferably in a language fitting of, you know, throwing some yeah. idioms. Um, not idiots, I can't but... remember what did Django say when he shot off Walton Goggins' nuts. 
Did he say something before that? I don't remember. Oh no, I don't. But it was it was in, in Hateful Eight and in I like Glorious the way you lose your balls, boy. <laughs> yeah, in Hateful Eight and in Glorious Bastards, it was both say say afito say to your nuts or say adios to your nuts. So yeah, pretty pretty good. Um, I think uh, diegetic music or practical music, music that's in the scene. This is something that's very strong as a Tarantinoism. Um, not so much lately because, you know, when you are filming movies that are set in the 1800s, it's a little harder to do that. Um, but it was a super strong element throughout Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, um, started kind of separating during, uh, Kill Bill, but was still definitely an element there. So I think that diegetic or practical music is definitely part of it. And then really memorable diegetic or practical music in, uh, you know, in The Hateful Eight with the piano or in Django Unchained with the harp. Pulp Fiction so still with the dance scene is world famous. Yeah, world famous. Also, there was the the record playing in the uh, underground pub in Inglorious Bastards. Um, so he's still incorporating it. He's definitely branched out a little bit, but I think that that's something that I look for in his movies, and I always take note of it because he, you know, he's got such a good ear, and everybody always talks about the great musical choices that he makes. But I think that, um, but he, the way that he incorporates those musical choices into his film is also something that's really unique, and I think it's something that that helps that music stand out a little bit. Yeah, um, and his, you know, his timing with it is so. That was one thing that I left. I realized after we were done with the Hateful Eight podcast, he times when they kick in with the White Stripe song uh-huh. as, yeah. the, as the carriage is approaching. Um, watch it again. He cuts the the car- he cuts with the beat of the song into a couple different shots, but uh-huh. every shot the transition is always on the beat, which is just awesome. I just love it because it just <laughs> reinforces kind of that. You know, it's not building tension at that point, but it get the rhythm of it in the movie just really kind of brings you in, and right. makes you tap your tap your toes. And if you're watching and you're hearing the music and you see the scenes transitioning with the beat, you know, it just reinforces your toe, kind of like, yeah, I'm into this. <laughs> yeah, and he's he, he's able to pick music that really drives like drives your soul, man. Like, uh. You know, if all the way going all the way back to like Jungle Boogie in, um, in, uh, that's a Pulp Fiction, right? I yes. think it's a Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's um, the radio transitions yeah. to it when they're at the start. And the that was the one where it comes it in. in and you hear yeah. the radio, you think it's over, it's over the, t- you don't it, think it's practical, it's diegetic until mm-hmm. the moment you hear the transition on the radio and you go, oh, car scene. <laughs> Yeah. I love that. The way that he sneaks it into the beginning of Pulp Fiction is something that I just, love that you don't realize uh i i didn't realize it until this viewing which is i don't know probably my fifth or sixth time watching the movie that that's music that they're listening to on the radio jules and vincent are listening to on the radio as they're driving down the street uh so yeah just awesome stuff uh in terms of music i you know there's a song down in mexico which is the song that the character in death proof gives the lap dance to Mm. to the to the stuntman and that song down in Mexico by the Coasters, it I don't know why, but like two weeks after seeing Death Proof, it like got stuck in my head. And then I kind of, I, but I didn't know like who, who wrote the song or anything. So I did a little internet, uh, 
internet research and found out it was the coasters and i've been like listening to it ever since i created a playlist for it on spotify <laughs> um and then i was in a restaurant on new year's eve and the song came on the radio and i was like my mind is being blown right now like tarantino's following me around <laughs> so uh yeah he just it's just uh it's kind of inspired me in some ways to like go back and listen to 70s and 60s and that song down in mexico sounds like a 70s song it was written in 1950 recorded in 1956 um oh. so go back and kind of go through kind of this rock and roll soul funk history and uh try to unearth some of these gems that i you know never had any exposure to something i really like yeah um, and i'm feeling the same movie. way you know i with a kid on the way i feel like my music my classic music education was pretty limited it was mostly uh-huh. country music uh-huh. and i'm just like <laughs> i need to start collecting albums from you know from much earlier and from a much more diverse range because you know i just some of that stuff you don't know it until and i hear about tarantino going in a room and like listening to his vinyl collection and then picturing a scene as he's listening to the music and that's just that's a powerful skill to be able to pull you know to have that kind of music (laughs) knowledge and then apply it and i think that's a lot of his, I think it's one of his strongest suits is his music. I bet it. I would yeah. say you know top two of his strengths is music. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I like one of my favorite ways that it's used in his films is the way that the Delphonics are used as kind of a connection between Jackie Brown and Max Cherry in Jackie Brown. Uh, and I just love that scene. How it's just a great way to show that Max Cherry is thinking about Jackie. Um, just having that music playing in his car as he's driving around. And I love the scene where, uh, um, what's Adele. Samuel Jackson's character? Yeah. Ordell is in the car and he goes, I didn't know you liked the Delphonics. Like <laughs> on the way to like this very high tense and scene where, you know, somebody's going to die. It's really, really good. Um, so yeah, music huge. Another thing that has been in each of the films is this, uh, or in each of the, at least the last three films is this kind of, making a deal at the end of the movie that doesn't sit well with the audience and then altering the deal uh, to make it a little more digestible to the audience, if not more brutal to the audience. Um, You know, in Django Unchained, there's the uh, deal to sell uh, Broomhilda back to Django for $12,000. And it's, and before that deal can be signed, um, uh, Schultz goes and and shoots uh, Candy and kills him, and then in Inglorious Bastards, there's the deal that that um, that Christoph Waltz character makes with the Americans, and but before he can seal that deal, he gets the swastika carved into his forehead, and then uh, and then lately in in the Hateful Eight, there's the deal that Daisy proposes to the sheriff, and you think he's going to take it, but then he decides not to, and and they uh, fulfill the hangman's prophecy for Daisy. Uh, at the end of Hateful Eight. So uh, I do think that kind of giving you a deal that doesn't really sit well and then altering the deal to make it a little more satisfying for you as an audience member, that's something that's that's happened in each of his films. And it's all uh, centered around that passionate justice. Yeah, it's passionate always, justice. It's always the people, it, the good guys are always going to, or the bad guys are always going to die. Sometimes the good guys are going to die in the process, but <laughs> yeah. you're still satisfied. You know, it's, a hero, it's an honorable death mm-hmm. if the hero goes down killing candy um killing daisy 
killing the SS officer in the basement yeah. in Inglorious Bastards. You know, it's yep. every everybody dies down there except for uh uh Hammer, Stonehammer, Von Hammer. Anyways, Von Hammer. Von Hammer's Von Hammerstein. Um, Von Hammer's mark. But you don't yeah. care because they went down swinging. Like they took yeah. they took the villain, you know, they still the mission can still go on. Yep. And he was asking for it anyways. And you know that that's how Stieglitz wanted to go out. Fassbender mm-hmm. goes out speaking the King's English, drinking good yep. scotch. Like, Stiff upper lip. <laughs> so yeah, I it, think that's one of the things that you can always kind of and, – and I was really curious with Hateful Eight. I was like, there's no way that the that she gets away <laughs> because it's just – it's not in the history of his films to let yeah, the bad guy get away. Yeah, the bad guy does. I mean, even Kill Bill, like at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2, you go there, you see BB, you see Bill, and you're like, is this going to be like a happily ever after scenario instead of the, you know, the the fulfillment of the title of the movie, which is Kill Bill? Is Bill actually going to die here? And then, and then, yes, yes, Bill will die. Bill well, dies. You, you talk about deals. I think, well, it wasn't a spoken deal. I mean, Bill mm-hmm. had a vision of her coming back to him and them going back yeah. to assassinating people internationally. You know, he lays it out. Uh-huh. And she turns it down but i think that it seemed that he did not expect it you know he was yeah. hoping for better once she saw bb eh, he kind of expected it. he had the dart ready to yeah, shoot her and knock her out yeah <laughs> he kind of expected it um yeah bill man so manipulative uh so let's go through actually uh i got a question for you and i didn't prime you for this so uh, you know, get your get your quick draw ready here, Levi. Mm-hmm. Who's your, who's your favorite character, Tw- Quentin Tarantino character across all of the movies? If you had to pick one, who would be your favorite character? Uh, I think it it has to be Jules. In yeah, Pulp fiction, and I think that's a really strong popular choice. choice for a lot of obvious reasons. Strong choice, really good. Yeah, um, it's How do you a hard feel? time. Who do you are you the same or? I think that my favorite character is Schultz in Django Unchained. Um, just because he's such a... I just love the way that he's... He's very similar to Jules in a lot of ways. So very similar archetype. But I love how he's just super cool under pressure. And that he makes a decision. He makes a suicidal decision. He's like, I know I'm going to die, but I have to wipe this guy off the planet. <laughs> like, I have to wipe this scum <laughs> off the planet. And he does that. Um you know, at the peril of just about everybody else <laughs> in the movie. But he makes kind of that, you know, justice, primal justice moment, uh, uh, that that frontier justice uh, ideal. And it, could it be wrong? Yes, it could be wrong. It might have been wrong, but he did it anyway um, just to just to, uh, to be able to, to die himself uh, and, and feel like he had done all that he could to, uh, to wipe the scum off the earth. So... I really like Schultz in, in Django. Choosing how but. you go is a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's get to our rankings here. We did tease the rankings last week. So, Levi, let's start with you. Let's go ahead and rank all of Quentin Tarantino's movies in order of uh, of your least favorite to your most favorite. And before you do, I'd like, to, I'd like you to tell us what your criteria is for ranking these. These are my – it's a – a holistic view of each of the movies. So this isn't the movies that I would, I wouldn't necessarily repeat, watch them in this order, but this is, 
I think the strongest characters, strongest, the strongest Tarantino movie. You yep. know, it's it's utilizing music, it's utilizing his kind of bombastic nature, some of the best dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I ranked so I've ranked him as eight. I put Kill Bill together um, because that's how Tarantino okay. views it as one movie. That, that is true. That so, was revealed to us by saying the eighth film from Quentin Tarantino. So, uh, of course, lowest on my list is Death Proof. That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. I still think about the conversation we had where it's like, because somebody today was complaining about Hateful Eight. And I, or what's it, Dane? Somebody was complaining about a Tarantino movie. And I said, uh-huh. despite you not liking, I think it was Django Unchained. I was like, it's yep. still better than most movies out there. And they could admit <laughs> that. And I think that's going to always be Tarantino's. Right. Blind spot is he's going he's compared to his other movies and he makes such good movies that yeah. he'll always nobody thinks about putting him up against uh, Michael Bay because <laughs> it's just not a contest unless it's Pain yeah. and Gain as the forums have pointed out. <laughs> Pain and Gain the only good Michael Bay movie? <laughs> I don't know man, I give Armageddon a shot and The Rock. The Rock is one of the best action movies of the late 90s. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, That's if, you, if you put a very specific bubble around it, you can get away with that, I think. I think 90s action movies are over, are underrated because it was before people could pay for CGI. And so it's like the height of filmmaking with practical effects was in the 90s. And there's some great action movies in the 90s, like True Lies, like The Rock, that utilize practical... Like, they went on got fucking fighter jets to fly them around. They didn't CGI <laughs> that shit in. Uh, you got to give them some some credit. For, anyway, I, I, I'm, I think the problem I'm is off on a go tangent. back. I don't think they'll age well. I think you go back and watch Commando. I think that has aged well. I think you go back and watch <laughs> something like True Lies. I don't think it ages. Oh, as well. True Lies ages amazingly. Do not shit on True Lies, my friend. <laughs> True Lies right. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Anyway, all right. So next at the bottom of my list um, is Django Unchained and. This is where like all it's all good movies up from here. I think Death okay. Proof is the only one that I would reserve a it wasn't that great spot for. And even then I I'd challenge that. Uh-huh. But just based on the strength of all these other films, like ordering this was really hard. Yeah, totally. Because they're all you know, I'm like sitting here and I'm starting to do that compromise move in my head where it's like, Well, maybe <laughs> you know, if this switches with this and that's but just straight up Django Unchained. I put Hateful Eight next. Um uh, because we're comparing it to Tarantino films. Um, yep. After that, Jackie Brown, and this is when it gets really hard to put, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Inglorious Bastards, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill in order because those are all I think superb. And so at this point, it becomes a combination of preferential treatment and I think how uh-huh. much they push the envelope. Um, so after Jackie Brown, I do Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Simply because it's, I think, the simplest, and it wasn't as ground. I think it was really yeah. well done. And it I think was he a little groundbreaking, but with his, with his yeah, budget, it was, it was rough around the edges, though, for sure. Yeah, and you know, it's his first movie, so you could give it a higher position. But I think there'd be some nostalgia, and kind of like when you get like an Oscar, and you know, the movie was okay, but really, it was a, like a lot. It was for a lifetime. It you know, they didn't have yeah. a lifetime achievement award, so they just gave him an Oscar <laughs> to kind of acknowledge a larger body of work. So that's Reservoir Dogs um, and Glorious Bastards because I can watch that movie the most out of this entire yep. list. I can watch Glorious Bastards just any day of the week and be and enjoy it. Yep. Pulp Fiction because 
it was cutting edge for the time, and I think it still is in a lot of ways. I don't know that anybody has really picked up and been able to replicate even a modicum of the the filmmaking in that, in the editing, yeah. in the writing, in the nonlinear story. And then I put Kill Bill at the top because I think that is the most Tarantino of Tarantino's film. Plenty of gore, lots of references to classic films. The music, uh-huh. the soundtrack was undeniable. <laughs> um, and the the plot was just so well refined yeah. into that revenge plot. And you get this beautiful, you know, tour of all of the you know deadly viper assassination squad, and everybody has a unique character. <laughs> You get yep. some fantastic choreography. So Kill Bill, top of the list. Um, yeah, just run through the whole list one more time. Just so say the names of the we'll films. We'll go from top down. Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Jack, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Hateful Eight, Django Unchained, Death Proof. All right. Well, so what we do you have... got? I want to, I'm excited to hear your list. I'm yeah. curious to see how you ordered these. We have fairly different lists, but and plus I did split up the two Kill Bill movies. Just because even though Tarantino combines them into one film, I think that they would have been edited and presented differently if they were one film. I do think maybe some scenes from Kill Bill Volume 2 would have been in Kill Bill Volume 1 and vice versa. So um, so that's why I'm, I'm qualifying those as two different films. But from uh, and, and the way that I'm also qualifying this list is that I'm doing this from entertainment value. So I'm going to go from what I found least least entertaining to most entertaining. And I guess that also transfers to if I have these nine movies on my shelf, which one am I going to grab first? That's kind of my – that was kind of my, my thinking behind this list. So uh, in last place, we have Death Proof uh, once again. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that first half is pretty pretty rough. It's so slow. <laughs> it's pretty rough. And I think it's the difference between that and Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight yeah. has – yeah, kind of long, similar dialogue scenes, but well, just manages to keep the. And I think where you talk about the intimidating characters. Well, they have characters. I mean, the beginning of Death Proof is pretty vanilla from a character standpoint, and I wish that they had found some. Like the second half has much better characters. Like the first half is like you know these four girls who are trying to get out and like party, and that's their entire motivation. The second half is these four women who are movie actors and they're stunt people and they have jobs and they have wants and needs and likes and all that and it makes it so much more interesting um so anyway that's death proof as the last spot kill bill volume one is my second so that's quite different from yours uh second to last is kill bill volume one um just because it's it's mostly an action flick um for me and i would like to see a little more tarantinoism happening um Next up, Jackie Brown. Uh, I love I love Jackie Brown a lot. I love the character of Ordell um, as a villain, but it do, it does tend to drag a, a, a tad, um, and that's why I put it there. Um, Kill Bill Volume Two is next. Uh, once again, I really like this movie, but um, I I stick this in that kind of grindhouse phase that I talked about of the three phases of Tarantino's career. I have like the L.A. Crime Story phase, which is Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and then the kind of the Grindhouse phase. And Jackie Brown kind of straddles the Crime Story and the Grindhouse phase, but then Kill Bill and Death Proof kind of characterize that Grindhouse phase, and then the historical fiction phase, which is Inglorious Bastards, Django, and and Res- and Hateful Eight. So, anyway, I have Kill Bill Volume Two kind of there in the middle. I have the Hateful Eight right up, right above Kill Bill Volume Two. 
Um, and then my my final four here, Reservoir Dogs, just because it is so damn good, and I could watch that movie any day of the week, but it is a little rough around the edges. I have Django Unchained up next because I feel like from a filmmaking standpoint, it's Tarantino's best film as a, from from like a film expertise perspective. Pulp Fiction second, which you also had Pulp Fiction second, and then I have Inglorious Bastards first, just because I think it's a goddamn amazing movie. <laughs> it's really <laughs> entertaining. <laughs> and the thing that I love about Inglorious Bastards is uh, is like at the end, like I th- I feel like Tarantino also thinks that movie's pretty damn good. At the end, he has Brad Pitt say the lines, the last line in the movie. Well, I think this might be my masterpiece. <laughs> And then that's it. <laughs> Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, right after he carves a swastika into Chris F. Waltz's forehead. So that's my list. Death Proof, Kill Bill Volume 1, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 2, Hateful Eight, Reservoir Dogs, Django Unchained, Pulp Fiction, and Glorious Bastards. Listener, let us know what your list is. Go to the forums, uh, and we'll have a little epilogue, um, just kind of general Quentin Tarantino forum section where you can go on there and have your discussion, put your list up, make your arguments, and uh, keep it civil, guys, because like we say, to each his own, this is all subjective. So just chill chill out a little bit. And we can all start dreaming about Kill Bill Volume 3, which keeps coming up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So that is kind of – anything else on Quentin Tarantino before we wrap it up? I don't know, man. It's it's been a lot of Tarantino. It's been a lot of Tarantino, but this is my final question for you. What type of movie would you like to see Tarantino do next? I want to see a sci-fi. I would kill for some sort of dystopian (laughs) sci-fi space setting. I don't know. I'd be curious to see if he could do it. And I'd wonder wonder if we get something, you know, because of how much he pulls from the past, you know, where does he pull from for sci-fi? I'd be very interested because you'd almost get him mm. in kind of the flash gordon which you know inspired yeah. star wars so where do you where does he land well, i see him more i actually see him more drawing on things like 2001 a space odyssey and you know it's it, i guess it's sci-fi like the abyss or um the thing or you know those kind of like sci-fi horror type movies i think he might be really interesting there the thing's a uh, good reference point. I would not be surprised yeah. if we saw a honest horror movie out of him. <laughs> oh, that was one thing is that in uh, I read a Reddit post where somebody was comparing Hateful Eight to the thing and <laughs> made a lot of pretty damn good arguments that those yeah, two films there is really a correlate. Lot of similar- <laughs> yeah. Um, for our listeners, if you have not seen the thing, drop <laughs> everything and go watch it. That is one of the best horror films I've ever seen. Drop everything except the thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, my the movie that I would like to see him make, make next is I would love to see him return to the L.A. crime story and kind of do a spiritual successor to Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Because, um, you know, he's had that time kind of removed from that era, and I would just kind of love to see it. And I would actually really love to see it set in the early 90s and not in current times. Um, so that would, that's be, what, that would be a lot of fun, too. Yeah. He's got two more, so he's got a <laughs> Yeah, he's got two Maybe more. Maybe that's films. how he ends it. Maybe he kind of bookends it. I I don't know. He everybody keeps asking him about that and every time he's just like, "Well, that's the idea." Like I don't think he's really capping himself at 10 movies. Yeah. I think that he the his motivation behind it and he keeps on explicitly saying this when he answers that question is that he just wants all of his movies to be good. He doesn't want to make any stinkers or any clunkers. And I think as long as he sticks to the Tarantinoisms, he can explore new territory, and um, I think people will go along with him on the on his ride because uh, 
Because you're either in or out at this point, I think, on t- Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've <laughs> been... Know? Everybody who asked me about Hateful Eight, do you like Tarantino yeah. films? Yes, go see it. No, you can skip it. Yeah, that's a great... <laughs> All right, well, that is our cap on Quentin Tarantino. Once again, please go to forums.baldmove.com and add to, you, add to the discussion there. We will be reading your stuff. Uh, we will be lurking. So, <laughs> also, on forums.baldmove.com, this is your opportunity, listener, to help us pick our next director on direct. And we have a little bit of a special circumstance here, because Levi will be uh, welcoming a new member of the Levi clan into his Levi clan um, <laughs> in February. And so we kind of had two options. We could either wait until after that new member arrives, or we could do a short-run director who's only made a few films. And Levi and I both kind of decided that we would do a short-run director instead. So we've narrowed it down to four directors, and you, the listener, you're going to be able to go to forums.ballmove.com and vote on which director you would like us to do. So here are the four directors. Uh, The first one, Edgar Wright. So we would watch Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and The World's End. Uh, the second one, Spike Jones. We would watch Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Where the Wild Things Are, and Her. The third one is Steve McQueen, uh, and the movies he's made so far are Hunger, Shame, and 12 Years a Slave. So we can finally get Levi to watch 12 Years a Slave. Ooh. And uh, the fourth one is Neil Blomkamp, who has made District 9, Elysium, and Chappie. So these are our short-run directors. Those are your four choices, uh, and that will be the next director we do on direct. After we're done with that director, we will take a short break, and then we'll come back with a director who has a little bit larger repertoire. And uh, I think we already have those narrowed down as well. Um, but we'll keep that for another day. Once again, folks, that's a tease. So go to forums.ballmove.com. Um, and thanks. I just want to thank all the listeners for tuning in, watching these movies with us, and going on this Tarantino journey. And until next time, I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Cut. <laughs>